Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. I'm a feminist, but today I asked my husband to make me a coffee and he said, I can't, I'm busy. And I said, it's International Women's Day. And he said, that was Monday. And I said, every day is International Women's Day in this house. And he made me the coffee. Wonderful. It's true story. I'm a feminist. I'm a feminist. Uh, yes. But I've been married 22 years. And whenever people look at me and they try and figure out the math between how long I've been married and how old I look, I always say, no, no, don't bother because child bride. Because you know where I'm from, that's totally possible. So No, no, that's not. It's not okay. It's, it's not okay. But you know what? With your complexion, believable but also disturbing. Terrible. I'm a feminist, but speaking of that, we have a few segments tonight. So um, our main guests, who are, we're very excited about, are in the green room now, ready to go live. Uh, but some of our little cutaway segments, uh, for tech reasons, uh, we recorded those earlier in the week. And I am very scared that people are going to instantly see the difference between me during the week, just after I've done my PT, not having showered with no makeup, and this look, because my natural beauty sindhu is predicated on a team of experts. Well, that's why I look like this. They're going to see, they're going to see the stark contrast between real actual me and this made up me, which is the one I present to the world. But that's very good because then people are like, well, if she can go from there to there, so can I. Do you think this face is aspirational? It's mostly the ring light, actually. The ring light flattens out everything. I want a ring light in my life. That lipstick? is yeah. so aspirational. I thought about putting on the similar lipstick because, you know, I was doing tech with you earlier and then I didn't have the guts. So I went so bland that my lips look like my, the rest of my face. Also, my ring light died. So I really am looking, trying to get this thing going. But no, your look is so beautiful. And I think people should see you after your physical training and they should see you now and they should say, that's what I want to do. I mean, seriously, it's just a great big lie. I would want to take this, this the ring light of Zoom I want to take it to every meeting I go to when we're allowed back into the real world. Do you think it would be socially acceptable to sit down in the meeting and then set up a ring light so I look this good in meetings? I mean, it's going yeah. to be obvious, but it's obvious now. People know. People know I don't look like this. Come on. These are Lola's lashes. They're magnetic. Yeah, you know, you told me. See, I've been aspiring for those since then. I'm going to briefly disappear because I need to fix the plug on my ring light. Okay, well, I'll do another I'm a feminist part in that case. Okay, um, we'll do that. To cover. I'm like busking now, gang. I'm busking. I'm a feminist, but my favorite character to do around the flat at the moment is the only man on the International Women's Day panel, because there's always a man, often a man, at the prep call. 
Um, I just want to interrupt now. I just want to interrupt. None of the women on the panel have said anything. We're just listening to the requirements and the themes and the tech. And then the man interrupts and goes, I just want to say, uh, have you really thought about your goals here? Because I don't really think you've thought about your goals. Uh, and uh, what I notice as I go from company to company, talking loudly for money, is that nobody's as clever as I am. And I really have, I really have to ask you, have you thought about this at all? And then the women in charge who've been working on this for the best part of a year go, um, yeah, so our goals for this were actually in the briefing email we sent you. Yeah, here's the thing about briefing emails. I don't read them because I'm too clever and I could already anticipate what's going to be in them. But it's really great that you have got some little goals. Uh, that's a delight. Now, more about me. It's genuinely every time. No, honestly, it's not every time. If you are a man and you were on a panel with me this week, it, uh, listen, if you think this is about you, well, all I've got to say is you're so vain. I bet you think this International Women's Day is about you. It's not about you. It's about another man. It's about another man. You look even more radiant now, Cindy, with that That's new light. That's my ring light. That's my ring light. Okay. I'm a feminist, but when my uh, 16-year-old daughter for Christmas didn't ask for a phone or makeup or clothes, but for only books about the environment, I was like, is my child doing drugs? What's wrong with this girl? <laughs> I did, I she mean, is dude, the I dream child. You're Please. worried about her because she's wanting books about the environment. No, what but do she you didn't want even to ask. No, I thought she would ask for something big, like, can I have vouchers for laser hair removal or something? You know, we're Indian. We need this. We're like yetis <laughs> under our clothes. Yeah, she nothing. She asked straight for books on environment. I was like, oh God, I really want to. I said, she's smoking weed. What's wrong with her? But she's totally fine. She's reading all the time. So strange. I don't know where Generation Z have come from, but this is my theory. Aliens have dropped Generation Z onto this planet to cure the Earth. That's all I can say. Is because baby boomers of Generation X are responsible for the birth of Generation Z, and I'm X, your X. We're awful. We're terrible people. We've ruined, no, we've ruined the whole no, thing. Oh, really? Is it us? It's not us. It's the ones before us. We've been, we, we, well, we, everyone looks at the ones behind. But I'm just saying, Gen Z look at us the way we look at boomers. Yeah, but Gen Z don't know shit. I'm paying Gen Z's phone contract. Thank you so much. <laughs> I don't know shit. Anyway, okay, let's go. You next. Okay. I'm a feminist, but uh, I guess it's this week's stylist. Oh. Don't mean to go on about it. And uh, it's that. the theme is Choose Love. The reason I'm showing you this is our charity partner for this show is Choose Love. Our media partner is Stylist. But really, I'm using both of those things as an excuse to show you, oh, my God, what a glamorous photo. This photographer, Billy Sheepers, is a genius. Obviously, I don't really look like this, but it's not even touched up, you know. It's not even touched up. <laughs> she did this just with lighting. And uh, now I feel like for the rest of my life, I have to go around with my chin at this incredibly flattering angle. I've realized this is the angle. You know, when you open your camera the wrong way and you're sort of propped up on your bed and you go, oh, my God, uh. this is the angle for my chin. So I think not only will be in the real world, will I be taking the ring light into meetings and setting <laughs> it up? I will also be like this in a big in a big black hat. I may keep the heart. A friend of mine texted and went, no, and went, are you going to keep that heart? I went, yes. And they, she, he went. I, you know, I don't know. There'll be some situations that it would be completely inappropriate. And I said, well, then, you know, like somber occasions, I said, I'll do it in black, but I'm keeping the heart. I'm just saying. I'm Shall just I saying. If you rest, haven't read Stylist. I the rest of the gig in this? <laughs> yes. This, like this, the whole thing. I'm a feminist, but 
Uh, seriously, though, if you haven't read this, the, the theme is uh, Choose Love. And all the articles are about a positive, uplifting and action-filled articles about Choose Love and refugees and how we can help and how we ourselves could be displaced and how we want to be part of the action for justice and in the meantime, love. Um, so please pick up a copy. You can download it on an app for 99p or you can pick up a copy. Cindy, do you have any more I'm a Feminist buts? Yes, I do. I'm a feminist, but when a friend of mine had her boobs done, which I was so, I, I, I'm too much of a hypochondriac to do it. And when she did it, I was I was so jealous that she'd had the guts to do it that instead of telling her that she just looked so hot, I asked her if she was worried about silicone poisoning. <laughs> it was not nice. I know. But, uh, I mean, I mean, it's I mean, a valid she's question. Fine. She's fine. <laughs> this bloody light keeps going up, but she's fine. <laughs> it's fine. You look, you know, I'm tempted to turn my light down because then it does. It's, no, it's you a look amazing. Situation. No, you look amazing for the both of us. I'm just going to be in and out of the light, basically, literally, because this thing is misbehaving. Well, uh, my final I'm a feminist but is I'm a feminist but I'm kind of glad that International Women's Day is only a week um, Ah. because uh, (laughs) it's true. I don't know how men manage to have the rest of the whole year to themselves. It must be knackering. I'm exhausted. I mean, presumably on an average Wednesday, they have to get up, go to a brunch, it describe how difficult it is to be a man to other men who all agree. And then they have to go to a, a lunch and then they have to do a speech about being a man. Honestly, I don't want the whole rest of the year. I love International Women's Day week. I want it to be a month, but frankly, no longer. It's a, it's a, it's a busy old time. If that is your wish, I can guarantee there are most men in the world are working to make your wish come true. Hey. So you will only have one day. Yeah, exactly. They're cutting it down. Eggs. From a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Cindy V, and our very special guests, Maria Bamford, Alison Bechdel, and more talking about one year in lockdown for feminism. Hello, 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 and welcome, welcome, welcome to The Guilty Feminist International Women's Day Week extravaganza. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Have we got a show for you? Uh, But before I tell you more about our exciting show, let me please welcome to the screen your favourite co-pilot and mine at Sindhu V. Hello. Hello. Welcome, Sindhu V, this International Women's Day. Sindhu, how are you this International Women's Day week? Are you feeling the Women's Day vibes? I'm feeling very womenly. I'm feeling very international. And I mean, you are international. You're one of those international people I know. Indian, lived in America, Danish husband, live in Britain. Yes. What else do you need? Hello. It's why we chose you. And my kids are English, even though I keep saying, please don't integrate so much. They're quite integrated. They're completely English. You know, children will do that. They are more interested in their peers than their parents. And they're certainly not interested in listening to me about being not integrated. Anyways, I'm so excited to be here. I mean, homeschooling. I mean, I think everyone set their own curriculum for homeschooling. I can just imagine yours. 9 a.m. not integrating. 10 a.m. Yeah. maths. Well, basically. sort of. Although my, my, it's only my youngest I had to worry about. And with her, I'd be like, okay, we have, you've had breakfast. 
And now, and then she would just leave. I'd be like, bye. And then she'd show up at 10.30. I'd give her a snack. And at three, she'd show up again. I'd be like, how was school? She'd say, fine. I'd say, have you done your homework? I'd say, fine. Like, that's it. No more questions. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I mean, online was too much. Online was too much. Shapi Kosandi said to me, if my daughter wants to be a lawyer, she can be a lawyer one year later. I think that's yeah. a great philosophy. Uh, Cindy V, you are going to be uh, back with us a little later uh, to interview our guests. Uh, so for now, thank you very much, Cindy V. I delivered the following piece before the Sarah Everett vigil. I considered taking it out, but people who were there on the night said there was some material in it I really should leave in. Thank you. So before I cut to our first segment where we sat down with Choose Love and Stylist, I just wanted to talk uh, a little bit about Sarah Everett and also a woman called Benelyn Burke, who is a woman of colour who also this week went missing, presumed dead, and a man has been arrested. I just want to say something about this because it's hanging between us. And there's a proposed vigil, uh, which the government are trying to stop on the grounds of COVID, but it's outdoors. Um, so please keep in the loop for that if you would like to attend either online or in person, socially distanced in masks far apart from each other. Um, I just want to say this. There's been a lot of action online today about it. And the response from the guilty feminist and from me is firstly this. Our heart goes so far out and all the way back in again and around to Sarah's family and Benilin's family and other uh, you know, victims of this it happens all the time. And we know when it's women of colour, it's often much less reported on. You know, this is, this is not an isolated incident. And to all the people on Twitter who are saying things like she shouldn't have been walking home alone, she shouldn't have had headphones in. Can I say this? Are you asking for a world or even this country to pass legislation where unaccompanied, unchaperoned women are not allowed out after dark alone. Is that what you're saying? Because if you're not saying that, what you're saying is this individual woman shouldn't have been walking alone. But if this individual woman doesn't walk alone at night, that doesn't mean there's one fewer homicides. That means another woman is murdered. Maybe a woman who works night shifts and can't afford a taxi. Or a woman who's out looking for her taxi. Or it's the taxi driver. Or in this case, apparently it could be a police officer who maybe said to her, oh, we've had suspicious men walking around here or we've had a report. I'll give you a lift home. Here's my badge. We don't know what happened. But it could be a woman walking to her car, walking from her car where she's parked it on the street to her front door. It could be in the daytime. It could be a man who knows her and has a key to her property or knows how to get in to her property in some way or another or who breaks in. The problem is not what women do. 96% of homicides are committed by men. And most of the victims are actually male. What this means is that if men stopped killing, killing would stop. So our problem is not where women walk or how they're dressed, whether they've got headphones in. All women are vigilant. We all know it could happen. We all walk with one eye over our shoulder. We're all hyper aware. 
If that worked, this wouldn't still be happening. As a father of daughters, as a husband of a wife, if it worked that men who had daughters were not violent, were not sexual predators, the history of the world would be very different because do you know what? The human race is a long line of fathers of daughters. That's how the human race works. A man having daughters doesn't mean anything or the history of the world would be very different. The problem is in our culture. The problem is men being coded by the world, by the media, by the stories we watch, by the, the sheer number of stories written by men, for men, about men, asking us to empathize with men, asking us to empathize with serial killers. It's in the culture. It's in the jokes. It's in the jokes that go unchecked by other men who wouldn't hurt anyone. Most men will never kill anyone, obviously. But many men contribute to this culture. And that's what feminism is here to change. The patriarchy is a fight for the status quo. Feminism is a fight for change. And in this spirit, a fight for change, we now go to two of my favorite women, Lisa Smosarski from Stylist, who partnered with us for this incredible edition of Stylist magazine, focusing on Choose Love, run by the incredible Josie Norton. Over to Lisa and Josie. Welcome, it's Lisa from Stylist and Josie from Choose Love. Woo! Hello to you both. Hello both wonderful women that you are. So firstly, Lisa from Stylist, you have been an absolute star. You're our brand partner for this event. And I'm a feminist, but you are the person who has fulfilled my lifelong romantic comedy lead ambition to become the editor of a magazine. That's right. Your uh, rom-com fairy godmother, yeah. (laughs) That is exactly what you are. Next week, I hope that somebody's going to let me run a cupcake shop. (laughs) They are the options. I think it's turned out very well, if I do say so myself, to be honest, with the careful steering guiding hand of you and Tom Gormer at Stylist. Yeah, to be fair, you've been an excellent editor. So I'm going to say it's all back to you. It's completely your vision. This is your issue, isn't it? And um, yeah, Tom has been a very good pair of hands, I believe, uh, steering you along the way. But it's it's an incredible issue. And we'd love to hand over the reins to people who fulfill our values. So this is a dream come true for us, really, to work with you and Guilty Feminist. And on the front cover, those who've seen it will know. Otherwise, you can look it up online. I'm in a black hat and I'm looking up and I've got a heart around my eye and makeup. And that is because the theme is choose love. Josie Norton, the theme is you and everything you do. So I'm delighted to bring you two wonderful women together. (laughs) Ah, oh, it's such an absolute pleasure. I mean, we're fans of both Choose Love and of you, Deb. So um, it's the perfect combination for us. And I think obviously we're tied it into International Women's Day, as this is your specialty. The theme being Choose to Challenge. And we thought, what better way to link it all together than to choose love when you're choosing to challenge? Um, I just want to 
to say thank you so much to Deborah and to Stylist. I just I can't tell you how grateful we are as an organisation and so honoured to be part of this iconic, I'm going to say iconic issue. Um, but yeah, thank you to the Guilty Feminist community who are supporting us and enabling us to be working currently in 15 countries. We're supporting 150 different organisations who are on the front line supporting displaced communities. They are just the most incredible value-led organizations who share the same values as stylists and as a guilty feminist community. Right now, um, I'm not gonna lie, it's, it's a really pretty hard time for, for the communities that we work with. It's a, you know, a year into the pandemic now, the virus has been really breaking out in a lot of the contexts that we work. Um, the kind of, the funding that's available for aid and for development um, has really decreased over the last year. So a lot of services have had to close down, which means that the funding that we have is even more important. Um, you know, people rely on, if you're living in a camp, you rely on a community centre um, and the community centres have all had to close. Obviously, people have tried to mm -hmm. take them online. Um, if they're not able to go to community centres, they don't have access to the internet. So we're doing a lot of buying food vouchers, a lot of supporting people to have digital equipment, to have credit for being able to go on the internet. So it's a lot of really the, the very most basic things that I think a, a lot of us kind of take for granted. Lisa, yeah. what about Choose Love inspires you? I mean, you're someone with, you know, this major magazine and there's so many different amazing causes that you could have focused on for International Women's Day and throughout the year. You've only got so many issues. What is it about Choose Love that inspires you? Uh, I, I mean, I, I've just been such a huge fan of the work that you have created, Josie, since you launched. Um, because I, th I think what's particularly interesting about Choose Love is how individuals can donate by buying items and knowing that mm. it reaches the people on the ground. Um, and I, I think that's a big difference, the transparency of what you can do. Deb, you've been an amazing champion of the charity. And I think when we spoke and we were talking about your issue and your takeover, you told me the most incredible stories of people that you had met while you were in the camps and some of the injustices that they were still facing today, court cases that were still going through, of people who mm -hmm. had just tried to help. Um, and I just thought, God, this is just such an amazing opportunity to use International Women's Day to spotlight these injustices that are happening now that we're not hearing enough about. Uh, the other story that I felt was such a stylist piece, and it's something I really wanted to bring home, was um, looking at the beauty section, because I think we think of beauty as frivolous. And, you know, the whole idea of styling oneself, you think, oh, you know, it's a real, I'm a feminist, but, um, but, I, but I've put my outfit together. Uh, and actually, I think what's brilliant about the article that's in this issue of Stylist is looking at the ways in which beauty individualizes and humanizes mm -hmm. you. Uh, in fact, one of the first things that happened when I walked into the Moria camp, I went to the women's center and someone said, would you like me to thread your eyebrows? And I thought, well, I'm a feminist, but they clearly need a tidy. <laughs> um, but... And I think it's amazing. So many of the projects that we support are run by the community themselves. And I have to say, as is always the case, it's like the women who are usually the, running the organizations and they do the most incredible work. They're the most resilient, inspirational people that I've ever met. And we see, you know, the vocational skills being being taught. We see amazing hairdressing um, courses happening 
happening. We see amazing dancing, yoga. There's um, amazing beauty days. And um, I've had my eyebrows done by someone before and she was telling me her story. And I just, I couldn't even imagine if the same situation had happened to me that I would have had the bravery that she had had to cross borders to bring her children to, for a better life and, and keep them safe. Uh, I just add on that, um, Debbie, you obviously have got a great roundup in your issue of things that you can buy to help refugees. So the, the stylist at the front is the takeover. Um, so if you want ideas, Deb has got a lot in her issue and you can get that digitally or in print. You'll be able to pick that up as well. Thank you so much, Lisa, for allowing me to do this stylist takeover it was such an honor and a joy i can't wait to do it again if i'm ever allowed and thank you for your compassion in partnering with choose love because it's going to make an enormous difference well thank you pleasure is absolutely all mine thank you thank you very much to lisa and josie now, I've always said that International Women's Day is like feminist Christmas. And what would Christmas be here in the United Kingdom without the Queen's speech? Here with her Queen's speech is our very own woke queen, Sophie Duca. God save the me. Hello, everybody. It is I, young Whoopi Goldberg and comedy queen Sophie Duca. And tonight I have been given the honourable task of addressing all the guilty feminists. That's right. All you gorgeous humans across the globe, because we are a broad and sexy church. I'm speaking to my girls, my gays, my days, my single ladies, my single mothers, my sensitive brothers, my rad dads, because hashtag not all men. Although, you know, some. The day has come. The hour is here. It is feminist Christmas. And what have you done? No, 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 don't try and avoid eye contact. I am a pre-recording and I will maintain. I see you stressing about the unimportant stuff like Mary Wollstonecraft's tiny tits or the rise and fall of Kim and Kanye or that Friends of Glossier code that was gone too soon. This is Feminist Christmas. And at Feminist Christmas, you tell the truth. And the truth is, we could do so much better. Now, I get it, I know, I know, I know this entire year has been reheated dog shit. We've lost work, loved ones, the will to live. I mean, there wasn't even a silver lining when Trump caught COVID. At that point, some of us thought that the virus was an ally. But no, it seems that much unlike the fetid express coronavirus doesn't discriminate. So if you've needed to take some or all of this year off, that's fine. Maybe you'd have decided to stop showering, wank constantly, cry loads. You do you. We are literally living through a global panna cotta. 
take rest. But once you've rested, and when you're ready, all of us, we need to fucking fight. I don't care if this makes me sound like a whiny, worthy little wanker, but we need to do better. Screw, shag, marry, kill. We need to free Britney, fire Jeff Bezos, fucking protect Meghan Markle, jail Prince Andrew, defund the police. Cis people need to speak up more about trans rights. Fat phobia needs to be binned. We all need to help make fetch happen. Fetch's gonna happen. Go get vaccinated and then go get angry. I mean, who run the world? They're still the same cunts. And it's 2021. I'm over it. So go do better, however you can. Do it for justice, do it for equality. And if you can't, do it for yourself. Do it for Deborah Francis White. I am your unelected queen, apparently. And I believe in you. I believe in us. We can do it. This is a content warning for some of the material we discussed with our incredible guests. We talked about mental health and suicide is mentioned more than once. If you're not feeling that today, you can skip forward 45 minutes, although the interview is very warm and healing and not graphic. Sindhu V makes mention of how mental health is sometimes seen and how some people's mental health conditions are discussed in India using colloquial language, but she herself is not endorsing those views. And now to our interview. Uh, now, this is the part of the show, Sindhu V, when I say this is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and our hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. And Sindhu V and I are here talking about the weirdest year for women. From last International Women's Day to this International Women's Day, what a year. We played the Royal Festival Hall last year. Never would we have thought that this year we would be here on Zoom. So to join us to talk about this and many other things, my God, have we got some exciting guests. Our first guest today was described as the funniest woman in the world by Judd Apatow. But I think she might be the funniest person in the world. Thank you, Judd Apatow. Thank you. And she was the first woman to have two half-hour Comedy Central specials speaking more to the misogyny of Comedy Central than the brilliance of this comedian. She is also a mental health advocate and star of her own Netflix series, Lady Dynamite. Please welcome the incredible Maria Burford! Hello, Maria. Yes, hi. We're so excited to have you. We've never had you on the show before. And so the silver lining of lockdown is we can beam you in from the United States of America. That is the beauty of this total isolation. Uh, yeah, the great kind of society. I, I, you know, it's great. It's, it's... <laughs> it really is. And listen, our other guest, I assumed you guys would know each other, go for cocktails, back rubs, plant each other's hair. But in the green room, 
you both, I mean, had a fangirl moment for each other because you'd never met, which I can't believe Sindhu V and I here at The Guilty Feminist are getting to introduce you. This is so exciting. So I need to say that Maria Bamford is joined by a writer and cartoonist best known for the comic strip Dykes to Watch Out For, which introduced the world to the test that bears her name, sometimes known as the Bechdel test, sometimes known as the Bechdel-Wallace test, that all of our listeners will know because one of my first ever I'm a feminist butts was I'm a feminist but some days even my life doesn't pass the Bechdel test. (laughs) She has also created two graphic memoirs, Fun Home and Are You My Mother? And a third now that I've been sent this secret early copy of that's not even bound yet properly, The Secret to Superhuman Strength. And everyone's very jealous I have this and I've refrained from showing anyone. And I deserve a medal. She has received a MacArthur Fellowship, an Eisner Award and an Inkpot Award, among many others. Please put your hands together and make incredible woohooing noises in the chat for the wonderful Alison Bechdel. Woo! Hello. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. I mean, Alison, today, meeting you, I feel for the first time, my life really does pass the Bechdel test. I'm so glad, Deborah. Maria, I love your glasses. Huh? I love your glasses. What, what is embedded in them? Well, there's a butterfly and little jewels. My friends own an eyeglass shop, two sisters. It's called Society of the Spectacle. Uh, <laughs> and um, they give me deals. Oh, my God. Actually, Sindhu, I feel if you reached down and got some uh, reading glasses, if you have some, we'd be the glasses. We're the girl bands. Oh, my God. This is the picture. I have all kinds of glasses, actually, now that you mention it. Um, this is, these are the glasses of the first feminist I ever met, uh, my mother. So when I put them on, damn this light. Anyway, when I put them on, I can't, I can't see anything. Yeah, I I can't see anything, but I do remember her wearing them all the time and then saying, look, look at, look at my glasses, look at my glasses. It's because I'm a very educated lady. (laughs) So you don't have to say that now. You don't have to say that. We get it. Just wear the glasses. (laughs) It's true. They do make you look cleverer. I mean, the the four squared Brady Bunch cleverness of this is really exciting me in ways that it should not. Alison Bechdel, do you have an I'm a feminist part? I do. Um... I'm a feminist, but even though that Bechdel test is perhaps my biggest claim to fame, uh, and I'm just going to spell out what the Bechdel test is in case anyone doesn't know it. It is a test to gauge how well a movie represents its women characters as full three-dimensional humans. A movie must have two women in it who talk to each other about something besides a man. So in spite of this thing being attached to my name, I have to confess that my personal favorite movie of all time is Groundhog Day, which passes none of those criteria. Oh, my God. I'm sorry to tell you What a you scoop. This. this is a it's scoop. It's a scoop. I was going to say, it's a revelation on The Guilty Feminist on International Women's Day. And all you people out there, do with that what you will. There you go. But I mean, can I ask, in that movie, are there two women talking and they're talking, but it's about a man? Or there's just no women talking to each other at there's all. There's no women talk. I don't think there's even two women in it who, and they certainly aren't talking to each other. Now they might be because there's a waitress who is named because she she's got to have a name. She can't just be hot waitress or mom one. Uh, so I think possibly there is 
But I fear that the waitress might not talk to Andy McDowell. No, I think the waitress is just talking to Bill Murray. Yeah. Or the other guy. Yeah. It's a spectacular fail. Don't even try. Oh I can't my God. explain I'm, But you know, you know, but love, love knows no rules. When you love a movie, you love a movie. What are you going to do? Yeah. You know what I mean? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Can I have, I have another, I'm a feminist. I'm a feminist, but I really wish I had a ring light like you guys. Oh, <laughs> that's right. Attainable goal, Allison. Uh, Attainable goal. <laughs> my God. Uh, have you been on uh, the local um, buynothing.com? Someone will be trying to give one away. Uh, they're so many- all sold out, last I checked. Alison, <laughs> I'm sending you one. <laughs> the Guilty Feminist is going to send you one as a gift after this. If you tell us where to send it, uh, don't tell okay. us live. All right. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to send you one because I want to be able to say, oh, yeah, I just sent Alison Bechtel a ring. I'm a feminist, but I'm sending it to you, not because I'm being generous, because I just want to throw into a conversation. Oh, yeah, this ring. I, I just sent my friend Alison one of these. Alison Bechtel. <laughs> yeah, Bechtel. Yeah, you know Alison Bechtel. And they'll be like, you're friends. And I'll be like, sure. Like, we feminists know each course. other. We, we well, meet at the yeah, meetings. Obviously. Maria Bamford, do you have an I'm a feminist, but... Well, I'm so concerned that this will be triggering to people. Um, but I think that's, we, you need to risk it. I, when I was nine or 10 years old, I watched a lot of television and I didn't understand uh, sex work or, uh, anyways, I would often, I am a feminist, but I thought I wanted to be a prostitute Due to the because they were always going out to eat and having a nice time and a nice dress. And not that that isn't happening, because it is, um, and I wasn't wrong, um, but I just thought that was interesting that that was like something that I thought I, I would like, yeah, to, well, like to get into that. Um, unfortunately, that has not been made available to me, or nobody's ever asked me uh, for a picture of my feet or. Uh, you know. They will now. They're sliding to your DMs now that you've said that. You've put it out there. You've asked for it. <laughs> I, I have a really good friend in Australia who's a sex worker who absolutely loves it. it, was what she wanted to do, similar thing as a friend of hers was doing it. She, she just loves working with her clients, a lot of whom are people who, you know, that's their closeness and intimacy. And she is always going out to eat. She's very, very glamorous um, and a glorious feminist and a glorious woman. So I think you were right. I don't think that's an, I I don't think that's a but. I think that's an I'm a feminist and. And I mean, talking about it being kind of complicated and perhaps triggering, I am a little triggered and I'll tell you why, Maria, because when I was seven or eight years old, I went to my mother and I said, mommy, I think when I grew up, I want to be an actress. Now, bear in mind, my mother was raised in the Bollywood culture of acting. So I said, mommy, I think I want to be an actress. And she said, actress, why don't you go straight to prostitute? And I was like, what? And so then I went to my dad and I was like, when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute. I thought, well, I guess that's what it is. And my dad was like, I, uh, I need to talk to your mother. I, I don't know. Because he knew that it had come from her. So he went to her and she said, because Bollywood was a terrible place. But I just want to say, when you said that thing about nine years old and sex work, I'm like, oh, I've been in a situation with those things in the same space mm. and been like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Well, and I, I wonder if people who do sex work, if they have that experience as young people because then then when I found out what it was oh yeah I think I'm a little too shy for that uh and um, I imagine there's every single experience in sex work from 
every every spectrum of experience and we should get some sex work more sex workers and we have had sex workers on the program yeah. but we should have more to talk about it and to speak from their experience i also weirdly wanted to be a nun and i think it's because of the the uniform the idea that i could be wearing a dress or just a uniform you know it's just like the costumery of both those yeah. positions seemed very good i wanted to be a nun for a brief time too but only because of the sound of music Yeah. Oh my god, I wanted to be a nun so I went to a convent. <laughs> I did. I'm I went a feminist, to a convent. But now school. I felt left out that I didn't want to be a nun. Sorry. No, but, but just so I, you know, I was in a convent and it was fine except it was Sister Agnes who made me not want to be a nun because she was very angry and she had a mole and it had one hair. And the thing is she would shout at you and then the hair would get angry after. It was like a delay. It was so frightening. It'd be like And Sister Agnes would come to her and say, you did not do your homework. You're terrible. And blah, blah, and said, Hail Mary and this, that. And then when she was done, the hair would go. And you'd be like, oh. And that's what made me not want to be a nun. I thought, I, I can't do that. It was scary. It's a great character for a children's book, though. I have to say that. I felt left out because I never wanted to be a sex worker. So each of us are, are left out of one of these scenarios. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I understand. I understand. So to ask you two Americans a question. Um, you, you, your country's had a lot of news lately, hasn't it? And uh, and uh, we are obsessed with your politics, just so you know. We need to be because who runs your country changes the world. Uh, we had a um, the head of the CEO of the Climate Council on and she said if Trump gets another term, uh, that's the end of the world because of his, there's no going back climate change wise. So I don't mean to put pressure on you and say who you vote for and who your fellow Americans vote for really does. It can be the end of the world for us. So the world, that's why we're so obsessed. Um, but how do you feel now? We've had this exceptional year in every conceivable way, but one of the hopeful things that have come out of it, other than hot and cold running vaccines now, is Biden-Harris. Do you feel hopeful or does that feel like a plaster over Niagara Falls to you? Like, how does it feel? Maria, you look like you have something to say bubbling well, out of you. I mean, I always have something to say now that I've gotten older and I just sort of dribble words uh, randomly <laughs> in every direction. But um, I, I, mean, I think it's, uh, it is a bit of a band-aid because things are so uh, awful. And I, I'm definitely a person of privilege, so I, I'm not the person to be speaking on these issues of, uh, but it, it is radically, you know, so, so unfair uh, in our society and, and a lot of things that are supposed to be, you know, American values, you know, are, have really shown themselves never to be true on some, <laughs> some level. So um, it's a bit worrisome, but I am grateful. I did vote for Biden-Harris and I am, um, you know, I, I always have hope, uh, but that's maybe because of my caffeine intake and a number of antipsychotics. I am currently on. <laughs> I love that image of a plaster over Niagara Falls. I think that's very uh, evocative. <laughs> I, I mean, I ad libbed it especially for you, so I feel very warm. And uh, and please, one day, put it in a graphic novel, and then I'll tell people. I think that's accurate. That's I, I feel very, of course, relieved that Biden got elected, but also very, very anxious about what still lies ahead. You know, some kind of major change has to happen. And I don't know whether we're all up for it. You know, I hope we can do it. But um, 
I mean, we're definitely not all up for it, but 50% is up for it. (laughs) And it's which 50% is going to win. And it keeps doing that all the time. But I worry that our 50% isn't pushing hard enough or for the right things all the time. It's this perpetual problem with with the forces of good, which is that, you know, we're trying to be inclusive and polite and caring. And the other side doesn't, doesn't care about that stuff. So they they have a, have an edge. Yeah, for sure. I think that, I think that the loss of the middle is about one side saying, let's have a middle. Why don't we come and talk? And the other side being like, get out. Get out. Yeah. You know, it's that you can't have a middle if that's going on. And I, but you know, I just think Trump's being there did something so that lots of stuff that was under the surface has now just come out, and you can't put it back in the box. Is that yeah. is that a mm-hmm. fair way of thinking about it? I agree. Yeah. Well, and, and definitely encourage people through modeling. You know, of like what a human being is capable of. Just oh, well, he's doing it, so that means I can. And mm. that's uh, yeah, it emboldens. Yeah. Maria, what's your dream for feminism now? What would it look like if you were the feminist genie and you could grant some wishes? What would it look like? How, what kind of world would you paint or like, what would you go for first? Well, I assume it would be the same things that, you know, just being seen as a human being, you know, the same that people with different uh, abilities have different race, ethnicities, like the genders, you just want to be seen as a human being and and not to not acknowledge what the differences might be, but to have the same opportunities. And clearly that just, I, I don't know how to change that. I did a study with this guy at the University of Chicago just to do comedy clubs, just because I just through um, working in them, I realized that I'm one of only, you know, maybe three comedians a year who are booked at some comedy who are women. And then usually they're white. And it turned out, you know, the numbers were exactly what we thought they would be. You know, it's only uh, mm-hmm. maybe I think it was like 10 or 11 percent were women and then much smaller for women of color or and then non-existent for a certain identification. So it was like, yeah, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so we put the information out there and then it's just like, oh, yeah, we knew that. And then- <laughs> Yeah. How do we start burning stuff to the ground? Because I wonder and I don't know. Uh, what do you think about this, Alison? Because I've just lately been feeling like the suffragettes in this country, I don't exactly know the history in America, but in, in this country, there were like five or six decades where they tried to get the vote because there was no legislation for women. There was no laws for women, no laws protecting women. So they had to get the vote to get anything at all. And uh, their babies could be taken away from them. They could be locked in, a, in an asylum, like anything could happen to them. So five, it was like five decades Perching on six decades, they filled out the paperwork and did what the patriarchy said. Like, oh, but if you just make friends with these MPs and you have some coffee mornings and you, which you got to come, well, you got to present and you got to try and get a private members bill through. You got to, and they tied them up in busy work for five or six decades because if they just go, you're never getting it, they'll just start storming the Bastille, right? So they don't do that. They tell you keep filling out the forms, and eventually they just went. We filled out the forms for like 55 years. Now we're just going to stop blowing shit up. And, you know, that worked. I remember that as a child, my first exposure to the suffrage movement was upstairs, downstairs, the scene where Rose, the maid, goes to a protest and gets put in jail and force-fed oatmeal. Oh, yeah. That's when I became a feminist. I think I was 10. (laughs) 
Yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. So it was it was British suffragettes that made you a feminist. Yeah. Masterpiece fascinating. theater. Wow. Yeah. Um, I forget what much? the question was. <laughs> oh, it's just like, what's your fantasy future? If you had, if you were the feminist genie and you could wave a magic wand, what oh. would you do? I would want the whole world to be like a women's music festival, except we'd have to have men, of course. But otherwise, it would be just like a women's music festival. It would be like a collective run worm composting farm and everyone would just be like living in harmony with nature and each other. Wait a minute. That's great. I've been to a women's music festival and there's often some arguments about what's vegan. Like there's, I lived in (laughs) emotional uh, group meetings about uh, decisions made. So just, I, I, I know. <laughs> it's not all. This genie Nirvana, though, in feminist genie Nirvana, there's no I, I, Nirvana's probably not an. It's probably a, not an appropriate use of that word. Uh, but in this in this feminist fantasy future, uh, you know, there aren't those arguments. Alison's painting a picture. I exactly hear what you say. There's going to be arguments around the drum circle. You're right. You're right, Maria. You're not wrong. But Alison's probably going to wave her wand again. I don't know, and make those arguments go away. No, we. we it's okay to have you know, healthy differences. We can allow for that. Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I mean, Maria's I think, not coming. I'm just. <laughs> no, well, Maria's going to be. I, I'd like to come. I just, I can't, I, I, I can't stand conflict, which is, <sighs> you know, that's part of my problem. Humanity. I know. I know. Um, yeah. I know. Well, that actually brings me to the next thing I'd like to talk about because I want you guys to talk to each other because here's the thing. I've been watching your show, What's Your Ailment, where you talk to comedians about mental health. And also I've read uh, The Secret to Superhuman Strength, Alison Bechdel's new book. And both of those really sit in a space around mental health, you know, the psyches, how in your head you can be and how much you try and invent and express yourself through your physical body and kind of how inadequate it is. So I would love to hear you two talk to each other, you know, and Cindy as well, about mental health and what you've learned, I guess, from all the comedians you've had on What's Your Ailment, Maria? Have you learned anything? And Alison, like what you've learned from diving deep in your graphic novels into your exposing so much vulnerability in yourself and how much that really affects us as women, especially in this lockdown year. You go first, Alison. Oh, I was just going to say, you go first, Maria. (laughs) You know what? I'll go first. Great. I'll go first just to get everything going. But also I just have a little bit to say, which is that I grew up in India where mental health is not discussed. So by which I mean, I had an uncle who was crazy and he lived at home. And every time we went to visit, my aunt was like, don't go in the room. You know, uncle, he might kill you. And we were like, oh, okay. And he would just be in his room and he would just slam doors. He was nuts, but they just kept him home because they weren't going to, there was nowhere to put him. So that's one kind of mental health. You just grew up with people, your family, someone's crazy. Just put him in a room. Don't visit at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. But women having mental health issues was never discussed because then you were broken. You were damaged. You were, you know, and it was my mother became a therapist when I was a teenager. She went to America and trained in drug and alcohol therapy and came back and started a rehab in Delhi and had addicts come out of detox and then do their therapy at home. <laughs> so I, I remember wow. coming home from college one day and my, from, I was in high school and my mother said, and there were eight people sitting in the garden with her. And she said, this is my group. I'm going for a nap. 
go and sit with them and don't sit next to the boy with the mustache he'll bite you he's very angry he's had lot of heroin in his life i was like well, what's heroin i went and sat in this group and they were like oh are you mrs v's daughter and i was like yes and they were like you know we're addicts and no one in india will talk about it. i didn't know what an addict was but i was introduced to the notion of mental health in a very extreme way and i think what happens and what i've learned as a woman with children and growing up is that a lot of and tell me what you think of this a lot of mental health stuff that women have is so subtle that we don't think we are allowed to talk about it it's not that extreme stuff you know if you're an addict or if and you have an addiction and that's playing out or if you're not so you're breaking a wall that's mental but when you have so much of mental health distress that i felt in my life has been so subtle that i haven't been haven't felt that was justified in saying anything it's like oh mm-hmm. i'm not coping and i think if there was you know it's it's really nice to read and hear from people who say you have to take it seriously it's okay you're you are worth mm-hmm. enough to say that thing doesn't feel right does that make any sense yes yes well and i don't know uh like even the i mean a lot of jokes about women from a man's perspective are like she's psycho you know yeah. or crazier you know ha- have any feelings yet yeah, so that that's definitely a thing that can be said about women and nobody wants to feel like they're um yeah a pariah or untrustworthy emotionally my mom also trained to be a therapist when i was in college so <laughs> she went back and uh, <laughs> the great thing about or the one thing i felt like i've been able to do as a woman is just to talk about my own ex- experience or that's been the empowering thing is to talk about it publicly with an art form that i enjoy comedy and that's one thing that i can do that doesn't involve getting you know a bunch of people on board um yeah i don't i don't know i definitely preach to the choir i'm definitely talking to a bunch of people who already agree with me many times so um the one thing i love about the show is how funny it is and how much you sit and laugh with comedians as you talk about things like depression and i loved that episode with rachel bloom where you said to her that depression is anger turned inwards and because men are coded almost only the only emotion that it's acceptable for them to express is anger if you're looking at you know real binary uh patriarchal structures but we are told you're not allowed to be angry so we can turn it in on ourselves and then yeah. we get depressed my husband and i we share something in common uh not only we both by a little bipolar but our bipolar too but we both <laughs> have a habit that we both got at around the age of 9 or 10 which is suicidal ideation. Uh it's a, it's a real clock eater and one thing that he does when he thinks about that is he would hurt himself like uh act out physically throw something uh you know destroy something or you know hit himself in the head or something whereas I would go inward and weep uncontrollably and uh mm. ways to kill myself online you know it's more inward so uh yeah i think that and and also it was okay for him to be angry whereas women in the midwest or at least minnesota 1980s i am not comfortable saying that i'm angry about anything mm. <laughs> though i am angry yeah yeah yes nope. yeah <laughs> <laughs> are you angry alison You know, I didn't want to be a sex worker as a child, but I did want to be a psychiatrist. I went through oh a phase of when people asked me what I wanted to do, I would say I wanted to be a psychiatrist. 
I think mostly because they would laugh when I said that. But I really was fascinated with this profession of people who would just sit and listen and try to figure other people out that thrilled me as a child because I so desperately wished someone would do that for me. Mm. I, you know, yeah. I grew up in this quite dysfunctional family, all kinds of things happening around me that I didn't know were happening until much, much later. I am a huge advocate of therapy. It was doing therapy as an adult that completely saved my life. I, I just terminated after, I think I've spent a total of 30 years in therapy. Wow. <laughs> But, you, but you've more. terminated therapy? That's it? You're like, I'm done with therapy? Well, actually, I was just having this feeling yesterday, like, God, I haven't talked to my therapist in a long time. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's always there. It's a possibility. You know what I mean? Like, I used to go every week, every week for years. And then I was like, oh, I'm fine now. And then sort of just went through my life and then finally got to a point where like, I was like, Oh, that wasn't fine. And then turned back around. And yeah. then I started doing therapy. I think the idea that you do therapy because you're not okay is a mistake. I've been telling my kids since they were seven, you need to go to therapy. I'm saving up for you. And they're like, what are you talking about? I think it's the best way to get to know yourself, but you need to have the yeah. right therapist at the right time. And in the U S it is so difficult to get mental health care or health care at yeah. all. Yeah. So yeah. I always like try to tell people, call your lo local pizza parlor, like just see if yeah. you can get somebody on the phone. Somebody <laughs> might read something and might be pleasant. Yeah. To you. I've called the <laughs> operator and said, hey, I want to kill myself. They've said, oh, I love you. You know, like just get it done. Like you don't yeah. have to be a psychiatrist or, you know, sure. just get help anywhere because um, wow. the so high to, I mean, the suicide hotlines, you wait 45 minutes right now. Um, oh, when God. You oh, that's wow. awful. I've just started therapy, you guys. I've just started it. Oh, I, really? yeah, I, all my life, I had two periods of six weeks, which each for two specific incidents, both of which were terrible. They just sat and stared at me. And I honestly, I felt judged. I felt like I was paying to be judged. And oh. uh, then during lockdown, I'm on a general self-help thing because I've never been in the same place like just like, honestly, I do things in lockdown for variety because I never leave the house. I'm like, well, now I'll have a singing lesson. Now I'll have, you know, I try and do these different things. So I thought it's a good time to figure some stuff out. And I just have found a new therapist who I think is right for me. And she's like seeing like really interesting patterns. And I always like stuff around my, I was adopted, which I didn't really think it affected me that much. I used to be a Jehovah's Witness, which I know did affect me a lot. Like one really interesting thing that I never understood before is I was alone in the hospital for the first 10 days outside the womb. So the first thing I learned outside the womb was you're on your own. A nurse will come and feed you. If you don't drink all the milk when she gives it to you, it's not coming back. So drink wow. all the milk. Like I learned that. Um, and I've been drinking all the milk since. And then, uh, you know, when you leave the Jehovah's Witnesses, you're shunned. And it like replicated that first 10 days outside the womb where you're all on your own. And so like things like that, that I'd never seen before. I was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. It's like a movie, but it's, it's my life. And it's sort mm -hmm. of like those patterns. It's so interesting. And also sometimes, you know, kind of sad, but it's, I highly recommend it. But yeah, but coming to see those things, coming to like see and understand those patterns, freeze you almost instantly you know that's the beauty of yeah. therapy yeah 
I always think the things that I wished I had different that I think are important in the world, I try and put in my kids because I see them as little bees that are going to go out and pollinate stuff, you know, because I think that's kind of one way I can, not that they take everything I say. I mean, they hardly listen to anything I say. They're just like, yeah, whatever. I mean, I've got two teenagers. They're barely like, are you talking? Because that's literally wasting my time. They're like, they don't say it to me because I'm Indian. They know what'll happen. They think it. I can see it in their eyes because they're English. That's the problem with my kids. They're so English. Um, <laughs> but one of the things I've been trying to put into them is this idea that when you don't feel stable or when you feel so sad or when you have terribly intrusive thoughts, there's no shame. Okay. Shame's the killer. Shame's the killer. That's the thing that makes kids go like this. And that's the thing mm. that makes them go like this. And I'm like, there's no shame. Because in India, there's a lot of shame around mental health or depression. I mean, now it's better, but it's not that great. And so I keep, I want them to celebrate the fact that they were smart enough to think, I feel really fucked up. <laughs> mm. I'm like, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. Pick up the phone and tell, that's good. If you feel like that and you can say it, excellent. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Google That's any human experience on the internet, you'll find somebody who's written a book about it. Exactly. That's and so you know, true. You've sat on your rabbit by accident, your beloved rabbit. Somebody's <laughs> written a book about that. <laughs> exactly. I mean, but I, but I do, I do temper it. I say, if you feel terrible and it's because of these math grades, then it's correct. You should feel like shit. You did not get an A in math. That's why you feel like shit. I'm sorry. I do temper it. I don't let them just get away with any old thing. <laughs> it's good to know. Um, I was talking to Hannah Gadsby recently and she said, uh, who you'll both know from Nanette and may have met, uh, she said to me, story holds our cure. Like you're both storytellers, immensely brilliant storytellers and feminist storytellers. Because I sometimes think the reason we got Trump was that we've seen so many stories. We've empathized with so many white men and they've all got a rosebud story, you know, like of the reason they're like that. And like the fact that most films still now don't pass, I think only about half of the films now still pass the Bechdel test. How much work is that? Like, how much do you think story matters? How much, sto- how much do you think representation of story matters? I think it matters a lot. And I think that's what's causing all of these upheavals we're living through is finally people who aren't white men are telling their stories or, and are getting their stories seen as human stories. And there's a tremendous backlash against it, you know? It's, it's great to see so, I mean, I just love looking on all the, you know, Netflix all the thing and different shows where it's like all these different world experiences being uh, represented that have never been there before. And it's, it's really exciting. The missing piece, though, is we got to get all those white men to come watch these stories and understand that those mm. stories are about them, too. You know, mm. uh, yeah. just just yeah. like we watched Groundhog Day and know that it's also about us. <laughs> that that part hasn't happened yet but I feel like it's easier for us to look at those stories and and say oh yeah I get then the other way around I feel a lot of men listen to stuff that women are talking about or people that don't identify as men and doesn't have to be women that just identify as women anyone who's non-binary men have a much harder time I feel there's so much more afraid and misogyny works you know, it's worked yeah. out. You know, it's like, why, why change? Why fix it? <laughs> if it's still working. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. I think, it's working for somebody. Tough. It's just what we've all been trained for, though. I think we're all trained. We've just watched so many stories through the same eyes. We're all trained to see 
this Joe Bloggs hero, this white guy as a human being. So when you see a white man in a movie, you put his humanity first and his identity second. But if it's a black woman in a movie, it's, you know, the white man will go, oh, that's a story about another because we just don't have enough movies about black women. So one black woman is an exception. And generally the movie's not about her anyway. She's a friend and she's there to support the lead character. And I think maybe that's where it sits. So maybe we need, we need other tests. Also, Alison, I'd be wanting to tell you, I have my own test. It's if you listen to the woman in the movie or the woman in the TV show, would there be no story? Because I really noticed that the woman generally goes, don't go out there for one last job. Stay with me. We should go to Florida where there's no stories at all. If you stay inside, we won't even see a plot. And the man's like, no, I must go out to the story. And even like it's something like Modern Family, it's like the wife is going, don't bring a trampoline to a petting zoo because there'll be comedy. (laughs) And the man's like, I shouldn't, but I'm gonna. And do you know what I mean? It's what is the name of that test? I feel like there's a, that's... That's a that's a, it's a good test. I want to see more movies where the woman suggests that we go on the adventure and the man goes, I'm not up for that. Yeah, that's kind I of never like noticed that. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a, that is that is a very good one. That is so the women are just stopping the story, in other words. Yeah, like Skylar yeah, White in, in Breaking Bad. Skylar, people's reason people hated Skylar on Breaking Bad is she kept saying, please don't cook crystal meth. We have a teenager and a baby, which was fairly reasonable of her, I feel. And people were like, she's trying to kill the story. And they really like took it out on that actress. And the writers turned it and said, right, Skylar's going to get involved. She started doing stuff to kind of help the plot. And even then people were like, "Eh, we just want to see Walt. But generally, I tell you, you watch a movie and most of the movies, the woman is saying, don't do that. Even in Groundhog Day, your favorite movie in the whole world, Alison, she's like, can you just come do the news thing like a normal person and cooperate? And he's like, I have an adventure to be on. So he's the resistor. I wonder if that is an expression of men's deep wish to just stay at home and do nothing. They don't really like going out and having adventures and having to solve problems all the time. I say, let them stay at home and do nothing. I wish. Enjoy it. Honestly, I went to a convent. Trust me, there was only women. And everyone was doing something to further the story. Do you know what I'm saying? We were all getting into so much. We were only furthering the story. I think when you... I like men. Hey, I, I like men. And for the record, love dick. Like men, love dick. No problem for me. But I just want to say, even if if you just let men go to the side a little bit, we just take up more space. We do all the things that we think only men do. We just have yeah. to tell them, just move move aside a little bit. Just a little bit. Make some space. That's like when my mother, she had two daughters. And then she said, I'm not going to have any more kids. Because if third child is a boy, he will take all the space. And she was right. She was right. She had two, and, and, and for her in that generation to have two daughters and not have a son, everyone was like, you got to try. She was like, no, because you'll take up all the space. So I think if we just tell men, just, I was like, just, just move over, you guys. A little more space. And by the way, the genie, can I just say, I have to say what I would do if I was a genie. If I was a feminist genie, not, not that you asked, I'm going to butt right in there. I would take all industries. So just talk about economics. I would take all the industries, uh, which is basically everything, all of capitalism, and I would make 70% of the power structure from top to bottom, all women-led. Yes. And then I would sit back and I would watch the change. 
Huh. Women lead differently. Women cooperate differently. Women fight. Women can be bitches. Hey, I I used to be an investment banker. I've seen women literally <laughs> kill each other. But when you have all the power structure, 70% filled with women, you see difference. Wow. That is a great, what a great genie thing. I'm going to take some questions uh, from the audience. But first of all, I just wanted to ask Maria, do you have any questions for Alison that you've always wanted to ask Alison? Or Alison, do you have a question for Maria? Oh, my gosh. You're anything like me. You just got to keep going. So I, I want you to uh, hopefully not answer any any of my questions and just keep making stuff because you make such beautiful things. And I, I don't want to butt into that process. This isn't a question, Maria, but I so love how you just say exactly what is going on in the moment, exactly what you're worried about, exactly what you fear. And I, I wish I could always have my finger on the pulse like that. It's a great writing gift. You know, I was surprised to learn that you didn't write Lady Dynamite. Is that true? You weren't one of the writers? Because it I seems so much like your voice. No, that is the beautiful work of Pam Brady, the head writer and uh, director of the show. Um, she is fantastic. She's in, in the UK right now uh, doing a project with Judd Apatow. I did not have the wherewithal to do that. And writing scripts is not my deepest joy. Um, so yeah, I would just go there and, uh, drink LaCroix and eat Caesar salads. And I'd say, well, this happened. Yeah. LaCroix. Can we just talk about LaCroix water for a moment? I I spent a brief period of my life in the twin cities where I discovered that amazing elixir. (laughs) Everyone I knew I was living there in the late eighties when I didn't know about recovery or sobriety, but all of a sudden I was in the middle of this recovery culture. And I'd go yeah. to parties and people were not drinking beer, but were drinking this clear liquid called LaCroix water. And it was amazing. It's what wonderful. is LaCroix water? It's just <laughs> sparkling water with different it's flavors. Water. Oh. Well, I'm from Minnesota, uh, spent time in Minneapolis. I have been in five 12 step support groups uh, for about 30 years. So, uh, yeah, no, I love, I love me some cult 12 step. <laughs> stuff. Uh, number one, it's free. Number two, it's free. Number three, they can't kick you out. And I love yeah. all those. Yeah. I went to so many of those in America because <laughs> my mother was training and she would just take me and I had to, I went to NA, I went to AA. I would just sit there be like, hi, I'm Sindhu. I did. I'm nothing. I'm here with her. We have to do a whole other episode on cults. We have to do it because I'm a, I'm an experienced culty. Um, yes. Uh, but Tom's just going to quickly give us a couple of questions from the audience because I know we've got to finish this segment up. Tom, you got anything for us? Yeah, this is a question that anyone can answer. It's from right. Laura Phillips. Yep. What are your thoughts on combating girl boss feminism and the damage it can cause? Mm. I think whatever you want to identify as, if that, if you're down with that, like if you say, I, you know, I like myself as a girl, then it's for the person. If you're calling somebody that, I think you might want to ask first. <laughs> <laughs> so ask first. Can we have another question, please? Good answer. Ask before you call someone a girl boss. Question for Alison. Uh, everyone wants to know uh, what's in those drawers behind you, especially the big red ones. Oh, that's an intrusive <laughs> I love question. These Drawings. Oh. Oh, yes. This is the good thing about Zoom, isn't it? We're seeing inside the, like, graphic design brilliance. The really big one. 
Oh, oh my, God. my God. This is so beautiful and special. <gasps> this is from that's the new book. Black and white. Yeah, that is from my book. I recognize that from the book. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, any other questions? Uh, so uh, from Arabella, how do you talk to women who are actively non-feminist? And again, anyone can take that. Maria, do you ever talk to a woman who says, I'm not a feminist? Oh, yeah, you just like a active woman, a human being. Um, then don't don't tell her how much you're getting paid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Alison, do you have a thought on how do you talk to a woman who says she's not a feminist? I'm trying to envision that conversation. Um, I feel like my mind would just stop as it just has. I, I, I would sort of go into a like, yeah. state like what? I would be no help in that situation. Sindhu? What about you, Deborah? Oh, me, I would say I ask them questions about do they feel that men and women should be treated equally paid? Do, do you think the vote should be taken away from women? They'll say, no, 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 of course I believe in that. And then I go, okay, well, then I'd rather you were a feminist as you seem to be and say you're not one than say you are one and not be one. But I would also rather you say you are one and be one. And then we would have a conversation about that. But I think the best thing to do is ask questions because they probably are. They just don't know that they are. Any other questions? What do you hope we are talking about on International Women's Day 2030? Mm. Oh. Uh, how, how, how the patriarchy was before it toppled, before we fucked the patriarchy, yeah. those bad old days. Sentimental, retrospective feminism, that's what I hope. Sindhu? Um, in 2030, I hope we're talking about how excellent the technology is to, when we're all in a room doing International Women's Day oh, yeah. uh, on the you know, and if we're, and we're on screens together, it's like we're yeah, holograms. Because, yes, because then we can have people from abroad, like we do this yeah. evening, uh, and they could, we can just be like, boom, and they're right Beamed there, into the like theatre. Yeah. Maria, dreams for 2030? Uh, yes. I would like there to be world peace, but then also I would love to have the technology to have a brain ride in another person's <sighs> brain. And yes. so you could just see like to be every single person on the earth for, you know, as long or short a period you want. I know that's also called listening. That's the low tech. It's the low tech way of getting a brain ride, but uh, I would love to have <laughs> That's the low tech. That's got to be a t-shirt or a mug. Uh, at least a tweet, Maria. The low tech way of getting a brain ride is listening. Uh, Allison, 2030, what are we talking about on International Women's Day? I hope that we are talking about how the eco-feminists stopped global warming and we're just so relieved about that ah, my what a great question and what great answers for everybody thank you so much maria is there anything you would like us to follow you on watch plug anything you um, want to tell us about i am not a mental health professional in any way i am not going to help you but i am doing on <laughs> april 15th um, a slumber party uh <gasps> where you just um i'll do my stand-up an hour before bed, and then I'll go to bed, and we'll be together for eight hours. <laughs> um, Amazing. And then I'll breakfast, and uh, you know, I it's it's if you can't afford it, you just uh, email me at Aria May Amford Bay. That's my pig Latin name at gmail. <laughs> Otherwise, it's on Rush. I believe Are you going to keep your camera on while you're asleep? Oh God, yes. And, What's the date uh, of this slumber party? April 17th. It's going to be on rushticks.com and all the money will go to the Downtown Women's Center in downtown Los Angeles, uh, which wow. is a great uh, uh, Amazing. facility. Amazing. April 17th, follow Maria Bamford on socials and I'm sure you'll be able to find all the details there. Alison Bechdel, anything to plug? 
Um, I have this new book that you've been waving around, The Secret to Superhuman Strength. It will be out in May. Buy it now. Um, can you pre-order it, gang? Pre-order it. Uh, you could also pre-order my new book, which is called Six Conversations We're Scared to Have. But follow Alison and Maria. Alison and Maria, will you come back on The Guilty Feminist when we have a luxurious more amount of time? Because I could talk to you for hours. Oh, that's so nice. Sure. Let's do it in Vermont. We're, uh, yeah. Oh, that would be great. We could come and do a live in Vermont. We'll go milk some cows. I'm into it. I'm more than into it. Isn't the Ben and Jerry's in Vermont? Yes, it's quite near <laughs> yes. my house. We'll go I there. Will come, can we go there as well? Then I'm coming. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, yes. Listen, it's then been it's one done. of the great privileges of my life to have you on together and also to yes. introduce you. I'll never forget yeah. this night. Uh, a big Wonderful. round of applause and woohoo's in the chat for the incredible Maria Bamford. Woo! Thank you. And the wonderful Alison Bechtel. Woo! Bye. Thank you. Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. If you're very quick, there may still be tickets available for the recording we're doing tonight, Monday, the 19th of April. It will be recorded at King's Place. And while we can't have you there in the audience in person, you can watch the live stream and see all the bits that are too visual, too controversial or just too funny to make it into the final podcast. And if 7.30 tonight doesn't work for you, you have 72 hours to watch the video. To get your ticket, go to kingsplace.co.uk. Now, like a lot of people, we are deeply concerned about the UK policing bill and what it means for all of us in this country. The part we're focusing on is the clamp down on protests, which will mean that the police can warn protesters that they're being noisy and annoying, which is kind of the definition of a protest, and then make arrests if protesters don't comply or don't hear. I mean, that's really the same thing as saying it will be illegal to protest about anything ever. We need to fight for our right to be noisy and annoying or accept that we just have to take whatever legislation this government or any subsequent government decides to enact. That's why this is the most important part of this bill for us. If other parts pass, we need to be able to protest about those. You'll be hearing more about this as the bill gets closer to becoming law, but we're kicking off with a live stream emergency episode on Thursday the 29th of April, 7.30pm UK time. I'll be joined by Femi Olawole, Juliet Stevenson and other special guests and we'll try and figure out what to do to preserve our right to be noisy and annoying. Now we are starting a campaign, we've got ideas and we're going to start a campaign so it would be great if you could be there, friends and family could be there. We are reaching across the political divide on this because anybody who wants their right to speak up needs to be concerned about this if they want to continue to live in a democracy. To get your ticket, go to momenthouse.com slash guiltyfeminist and use the promo code PROTEST in caps to get a discounted ticket if you're a frontline worker, NHS worker, student, teacher, or you're in receipt of benefits or experiencing financial hardship. Please join us to defend our right to be hashtag noisy and annoying before it's too late. And finally, as lockdown lifts, it looks as if we are going to be able to record some new episodes in front of real live audiences again. Our first show back with a live but socially distanced audience is going to be Monday the 17th of May, once more at King's Place in London at 7.30pm. Get your tickets now by going to kingsplace.co.uk. All of these events and more can be found on our website, guiltyfeminist.com, or check out the links in our show notes. And now, back to the podcast. 
the most impressive women to emerge from our time in lockdown was the Handforth Parish Council enforcer, Jackie Weaver. Did you see this viral video, Cindy? Yes. Uh, It went viral in the UK. You might not have seen it if you're tuning in from abroad. So let's have a look at her in action. It's Jackie Weaver. You have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. No authority at all. She's just kicked him out. No, she's kicked him out. Don't, don't. She's kicked him out. Don't. This is a meeting called by two councillors. Illegally. They now elect a chairman. No, they can't because the vice chair's here. I take charge. Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them. And now we're joined by the actual real life Jackie Weaver. Big round of applause for Jackie Weaver, everybody. Jackie Weaver, what a coup to have you, Woman of the Year, on our International Women's Day Week extravaganza. Thank you for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. Now, Jackie, you went viral because you seem to know how to handle men who were, frankly, bullying on that Zoom. They were being really aggressive. How did you manage to keep your cool and just say, okay, if you didn't want to behave that way, you're not going to be here anymore? How did, how, and then you seem, seemed to stay the same. You didn't seem to get angry or upset. You just kept your cool. Please give us tips. How did you um, do it? Plenty of, uh, plenty of makeup. Um, <laughs> and also, um, making sure that you, I guess, making sure you know what it is you're trying to achieve that night. And for me, that was about this meeting is going ahead. Right. Now, you said to me that they'd already been on this call and done the same thing before. Yes. Can you tell us about that? Well, it was literally deja vu. I mean, half an hour before, they'd had um, a planning meeting um, and it literally went exactly the same way. So they just kept behaving that way and you said, right, I'm going to throw for the call. And that's why you said... I'll throw you off the call again. Um, So can you tell us what's the reception been like since you've had this notoriety? Sorry, sorry, Deb. We're we're overrunning. We're we're already 10 minutes over. We're going to have to wrap this up now. I'm I'm sorry, but could we just hear from from Dad, please? You don't have the authority. Did she just get rid of of Tom? Oh, my God. Uh, Are we allowed? Do we have the authority to get rid of Tom? He is the producer. I'm not sure, Jackie, that we've got the authority to do that. I'm really not sure. I've read the the standing orders. I've read them and understood them. Between you and me, it's all in the eyebrows. And now, with a behind-the-scenes Bridgerton scoop, it's Alison Spittle and Nicola Cochran. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Alison Spittle and Nicola Coughlin. Hello. Two of my favourite human beings. And here I am sandwiched between you. If you were here, I would I would grab one of your breasts to each. Um, oh, I would love this. And, and, and not, I mean, just just out of delight. I'm not I'm not coming on to you, although I'm open. No. It's, it's more fine. just out of like. I- I just want to. Do you know what I mean? I hold my own boobs when I'm comforting myself. It's, it's very comforting. Thing. Oh, it's so it would great. be like that. It would be a comforting yeah. squeeze. Amazing. Yeah, l- love that. <laughs> uh, now, in the meantime, Nicola, Alison, yes. and I we're fans of the Bridgerton. I don't know if you've heard of it. 
Someone's mentioned it to me, yeah. <laughs> and we want Bridgerton Goss. We want backstage <laughs> on set Bridgerton Goss. Um, so, who smells the best? Of all the, of I often get asked this and I never really smelled anyone. Now I feel like I missed out on an experience. But people will say, what did reggae smell like? And I think I didn't really have many scenes with reggae. So it would have been doubly inappropriate. Had I like <laughs> not going to train it, like, I have a quick whiff, just like a little, and then I'll go. Uh, Luke Newton smells quite good. He's he's the, the man I got closest to on set. But everybody was mm. very well bathed. Every, nobody smelled bad. Alison, do you have any Bridgerton I'm a feminist spots that you could tell Nikki? Uh, Okay, I have a few. I have a few, but the one, the one that like sticks in my mind most was um, I'm a feminist, but when watching Bridgerton with my legally blind stepdad, I was telling him all the different activities that they were doing when there was no dialogue, and I remember <laughs> at one point, <laughs> and you probably noticed one, Nicola. At one point, <laughs> there was a lot of music going on, and he was like, "What's going on?" And I, I had, I had to say to my stepdad. Uh, oh, it's just uh, a woman's interfering with herself. Uh, that's what she's doing there. <laughs> I have to. It's the most Irish way of saying it. To be fair, I know. <laughs> it's so classic. He never asked again. He never asked again for any any. <laughs> he, he, he didn't need to know. <laughs> Nicola, do you have any Bridget and I'm feminist butts? So I am a feminist but. I was playing a really complex female character that was really well written. And one of the things I'm proudest of is how great my tatas looked in a corset. Yeah, <laughs> they did. Yeah, I'm they did. You said that. I was thinking that and I didn't want to ever bring it up because I was like, I mean, you know. sometimes they were like a little, like some days they yanked the top a little too high and they were in my throat, which was not my favorite. <laughs> But the other days when they sat at a sort of a normal human level, then it was all good. Yeah. yeah. You could sort of play them like bongos. That's a very convenient shelf for the lasagna. Oh, I constantly <laughs> balance things on it. I used to rest my head on them because you can't. When they're up. Like, no, no, I'm not even joking. There's a picture of me. I did it in one scene. I slipped it in at one point. If you can spot it, yeah. it's in there of me just sort of going like that. And then it's just nice. Oh. How are you affected by the reaction to Bridgerton? Because you are already in a hit with Derry Girls. Like, yeah. What, what were your expectations mm. with Bridgerton and, and how did they meet them? Well, it's funny because I think like, you know, when you come from like performing on stage, you come from that background and you're coming from being like, is anyone going to come see this show tonight? For me, it was performing in, in theatre shows, not stand up, but like going to the box mm. office and be like, how many people tickets have been bought? And they're like 20 and you go, OK, well, that was better than last night was 15. OK, so I think I still have that mentality a little bit. And like I kind of I mean, you get inklings that things might be big, but you don't know. You you physically can't know these things. So with Dairy Girls, there was like no expectation. But with Bridgerton, there was expectation because it's mm. Shonda Rhimes. She's the most powerful woman in television, if not the most powerful showrunner in television, you know, and her teaming up with Netflix is her first thing. She left NBC, has done this deal. So you don't, you're like, I don't let Shonda down. <laughs> it's to me. And then, you know, the fact that when we found out it was a Christmas Day launch, I was like, well, they can think it's rubbish if they're putting out on Christmas Day because that's a huge gamble. It's the biggest day of the year. And kind of all the publicity we shot for it and people were saying, oh, this is huge. Like, we don't do this for shows normally. They must think. So you kind of start to piece it together and go, I think it might. But then it's funny because then on, it came out on Christmas Day and then on Christmas Day, I went, no one's going to watch it. I just got oh. it in my head. I was like, no, no one will watch this. That's it now. That's it. We made the show and I dedicated loads of time to that. So no one will watch it. 
And then on Stephen's date, well, sorry, I said Stephen's date is an Irish person present. What we call that's what we call Boxing Day. Yeah, yeah, the day after Christmas. Um, then it just sort of started popping up on social media in things that were not at all connected to me, and people were talking about it that I didn't know. And I was like, okay, people started to watch it, and then it just went like blew up. And then you know, Drew Barrymore was talking about it, and Billy Porter and Gabrielle Union from Bring It On was talking about it, and like you know, all these people, and like yeah, it's just. Re- but it, what's been strange is that the only way of seeing the reaction is through social media, which is quite strange because it still feels very surreal because, you know, I've been locked mm. in the house most of the time. So I don't know that I fully grasped it yet, but also I think I'm, it's lucky for me because I'm older when this is happening. So I can kind of put it in, in a place and that's really nice. I feel like if I was 21, I'd be like climbing the walls. I'd be freaking out. It'd be quite weird. You don't have to tell us who, but are there any onset romances between the cast? Oh, so I, I'm so nosy that I ask this constantly. Yes. And they all say no. And what I think yes. has happened is that yes. I have established myself as so nosy that nobody will tell me. Ah! Oh. <laughs> because I always want it to happen. But like, you go to write a newsletter about it, Nicola. Yeah, I think that's it. I was getting into <laughs> And, you know, I did start, I, like, this was, I was like, I was because in my head I was like okay how does she do it how does this work so sometimes I would sit in the tube and just listen into people's conversations and it is amazing uh, that people say they don't think anyone's listening but no so, I never really found out about anything a lot of them were in long-term relationships and it was super boring for me they should have thought <laughs> about my needs in gossip wise but yeah they didn't <laughs> they did it okay all right well I look forward to hearing more in the future because I believe Bridgerton's going to run a long time and I think there will be onset romances <laughs> And uh, I hope yours is one of them so you can tell me all the goss. Oh, 100%. Uh, you'll get all the goss. Fantastic. And Nicola Cochran, you have been an absolute delight. Alison Spittle, as always, you are wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank Yay! you so much. And that was the Bridgerton scoop. And we are almost, Sindhu, out of time and at the end of our show. Well, we're way over time, but we're at the end of the show. Sindhu, it has been just wonderful to have you join us this International Women's Day week. Thank you for coming. Oh, is Sindhu muted? Uh, there you go. Now, I was I was just seeing if you could lip read. You clearly can't. What is your skill set, Deborah? Sort it out. Um, it's anyway, the theme of this was... year is you're on mute. It would if we didn't have one, you're on mute. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be this. Year. It wouldn't it be locked out. It would be. I was just saying it was great to see you. Great to be here on International Women's Day. Also great to hang out with all the guilty feminists and Maria Bamford and Alison Bechtel. Hello. So thank I know. You for having me. It's pretty. It was pretty. That was pretty snazzy, wasn't it? Uh, 10% of our ticket price tonight does go to Choose Love. But listen, if you get the stylist, you'll read all these inspirational stories or go on, download it for 99p, all these inspirational stories. And then if you have a fiver, go and buy an emergency blanket for someone or hot meal uh, or something like that. If you have more money, if you're a bit more flush than usual because you're getting the same salary, but you've got nowhere to spend it because you don't go out. So all your disposable income is just sitting there. If you could Go out and buy something like, uh, especially for International Women's Day, women's health services, women's services. There's a whole package there. Mental health services, which we've been talking about. There's LGBTQ support services. Uh, So go out and buy something like that. But if you've even just got a fiver uh, because you're not buying your coffees out anymore, if you could give it to Choose Love, it would mean a lot to displaced women this International Women's Day. And uh, now our final and exciting treat 
It's our house band. It's Grace Petrie. <laughs> Hello. Thank you very much for having me back. Happy International Women's Week, everybody. Oh, International Women's Day week is my favourite week of the year. It's feminist Christmas. <laughs> uh, but also, much like Santa, I am happy to be hanging up my boots and uh, putting my sleigh into the garage <laughs> for another year. Uh, Grace, have you had a good International Women's Day week? Um, sure. I've been alone in my house. <laughs> That's what Where's we've been doing for the past year. Oh, my girlfriend, we don't live together. She's in her house. Um, oh, okay. We spent the lockdown together. Lo- and then when she was when she was kind of properly liberated by the last rule change, she's she's gone back to her house. So oh. it's just me and the dog who's who I'm yeah. sure is going to start barking any minute at all when no. I start singing. He's a man. But, he's a man. He's, he is he an, may disrupt. He in he's intent on silencing me, but I will I will not be yeah. silent nor silenced. So, well, uh, Grace, what are you going to play for us? I'm going to play a song uh, that I wrote. It's, this song is nearly a year old because I wrote it at the very start of the pandemic. And it's uh, it's just about the situation that we're all in. But it's called Storm to Weather. And I'm enjoying playing it at the moment. I've just I've been recording it recently, ready for release. And I'm enjoying playing it at the moment because it's very much about the idea of like better times being on the way. And I'm really finding, I don't know about you guys, I don't know about you folks in the chat, but I'm really finding the, the longer, lighter days a real oh, uh, tonic amazing. at the moment. You know, mm-hmm. I think really starting to see those evenings drawing back and feeling like, yeah, you know, we've broken the back yeah. of it, guys. I think let's just keep on going you know so um yeah there's a there's a big line in the course that says uh we will dance again next year and i'm st- i'm very much looking forward to when we're all back together at king's I place or this year one venue and dancing I hope yeah, you wrote year that now, last yeah. year so that was a prophecy for this year when Hopefully, i hear yeah. next year i'm gonna think june 21st just to be clear because i need to believe that i um, hope so she means so. she means this year Listen, it may, not be, now, yeah. it may not be yeah. June 21st, but I wrote an article for The Guardian this week in which I said I have to believe in June 21st. And in fact, I would believe it if Boris Johnson personally hand painted it on the side of a bus and drove around in that bus shouting out the window, not really. I would still believe it because I need yeah. to. Sindhu um, mm-hmm. V, before yes. we get Grace to sing this incredible song, do you have anything to plug or anything to say? Um, I have so many things to say, but I won't say them this evening because uh, I've said enough. I will, I will plug the following. I cannot wait to gig again in front of actual people and have the great joy of them not laughing at about 40% of the things I say, but laughing at the other 60%. So for <laughs> that reason, I would like it. <laughs> well, if, if you came along to my shows, you know, there's going to be shows that are starting up, but my tour starts in September. And you can get the tickets through my website, sindhuvi.com. And um, the tour, yeah, the show is called Alphabet. Come and watch it. Let's be together. Grace Petrie, do you have anything to play? Oh, Sindhu, ask Grace that. That was my line. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And talking about plugs. Oh, no, now I want to see. We don't plan anything, and this is the reason. <laughs> Nothing else tonight has been planned except the running order yeah. for exactly this yeah, reason. Now that I've said talking about plugs, I always obviously want to talk about what particular kind of plug, but I won't. Um, I would just go straight to Grace. We can Grace stay on the plug. chat after the audience have gone and talk about yeah, that if you'd like. What do you have to plug? 
we live in hope that I've also got a tour in the future that people can come to. Hopefully, um, all of my spring gigs have been moved again into the autumn and all of the dates are at my website. But also I have a new T-shirt out. It's like a baseball shirt, long sleeve T-shirt, which is like it's uh, got the lyrics from this song on and a beautiful uh, design that was designed by a wonderful tattoo artist based in Leicester called Jamie Greaves that I think is very beautiful. So it's gracepetrie.com. Go Buy the merch uh, because this solo musician has not been able to tour or sell any tickets. Uh, So buy her shirt, buy her music and support her because she is our very own Grace Petrie. Uh, And if you could also, if if you're interested in my book, Six Conversations We're Scared to Have, please pre-order it now because that will encourage the publishers to think that they've done the right thing in commissioning it. (laughs) And I, I, I need confidence. I've been alone for a long time. I feel invisible. Uh, so thank you very, very much uh, for coming and watching. And I'll come back on to say goodbye at the end. But for now, take it away, Grace Petrie. <laughs> thank you very much. Come!
that song and uplifting you can do moving and uplifting at the same time not many people can do that just you and taylor swift you're the only two that's why we should get married your girlfriend is watching no i prefer you i prefer you i prefer you my future wife that way cindy (laughs) yeah it's tay tay and petrie all the way um i I see it you when she's not home so Um, listen, it was absolutely wonderful to have you on, Grace, and phenomenal to co-pilot this show with you, Sindhu. Everybody Always. who's tuned in, thank you so much. This has been our thank International you. Women's Day week extravaganza. We are the Guilty Feminist. You are the best fans, followers and listeners in the world. Thank you so much. That's our show. Thank Good night. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Cindy B, and our very special guests, Maria Bamford, Alison Bechtel, Lisa Smosarski, Josie Norton, Sophie Duca, Jackie Weaver, Alison Spittle, Nicola Coughlin, and Grace Petrie. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer for the Spontaneity Shop was Tom Zielinski. Thanks to everyone at Looped Live, everyone at UTA, and everyone else who helped make this special episode happen. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com thank you thank you thank you um i'm so excited uh i'm almost not sure what happens next but i think it's this um hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.